Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. We all know the laws of economics, supply and demand. If you have multiple suitors, only good can typically come of that. You have to realize, though, to bring multiple offers to the table is a process. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. But many M&A advisors will say, let's do not a full-blown hundred, you know, but a controlled auction process. On the other end of that spectrum is just a negotiated sale to one or two select buyers. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema, and we are a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and related marketing service companies. Even if you're not at the point of being able to hire a company like ours, I still want to do my best to help out. And today, we are giving away access to our most recent recorded video training titled Relationship-Driven New Business at Scale, emphasis on at scale. This is all about how we secure 5 to 20 weekly brand agency relationships for each one of our clients using tasteful email outreach centered on personal and or business commonalities. A few things we cover. We cover the two big shifts that have created a huge need for this approach and why we think you should rethink uh, the way your agency builds relationships and does new business. We cover the specifics on dozens of commonalities that we have used successfully to build relationships between agencies and brand side decision makers. We cover a simple follow-up process that you can use for your team, if even if you're busy, even if you're in a mixed role between sales and client service. And we cover actual copy examples that you can use to get inspired and build your own campaigns. So if you'd like to get access to the video training, which runs about 30 minutes or so, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash relationships. Again, saleschema.com slash relationships, plural. Today, we've got a really special interview for you, and it's with David Tobin. So David is the founder and managing partner of Tobin Left, which is an M&A advisory firm that specializes in helping owners of marketing services and digital agencies build and monetize business value. So over the past decade, Tobin Left has helped more than 140 agency owners craft exit plans and complete M&A transactions with strategic buyers and private equity groups. So I had the privilege of hearing David's talk at a recent event in Chicago, the Build a Better Agency Summit. And I, I was really impressed with both the very high-level way to think about acquisition as well as the tactics in terms of how to structure a deal, how you know David has seen these sort of things play out over the course of years. David's got a really interesting background, you know, coming from the agency space, founding an agency. And then moving on to what he's doing now on the uh, the acquisition front. So this whole interview was all about answering the question, how can you sell your agency from a position of strength? So without further ado, uh, let's get right into it. And please give it up for David Tobin. David, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So we were just talking a little bit and I was saying that your background is especially interesting to me personally because you started in the B2B business to business lead generation space a lot like us. This is one of these episodes that I'm very selfishly interested in, especially now that you're focusing on helping agencies get acquired and sell for a position of strength, which is really important. 
with that, would you mind talking a little bit about your journey and kind of how you got to focusing on this area? I grew up in an advertising family. My father owned an outdoor advertising. So not only was it advertising, it was selling, truly door-to-door selling for space. I started a business when I was in college publishing coupon books on college campuses. I was trying to expand the coupon publishing business. This was in the 80s. And business trade shows, there was a lot of talk around lead generation, telemarketing, direct mail. Telemarketing was booming in the 80s. So I had a business trade show for a coupon business. I actually just put on the trade show booth. We offer business-to-business telemarketing services. There was more interest in that offering than, than our coupon publishing. So I started a telemarketing firm in the late 80s. It evolved to where we appreciated we had to have a specialty or a niche We ended up doing work in the financial services industry, trying to put financial advisors in front of business owners. We determined one of the best door openers, lead generation concepts, would be to talk about exit planning and succession planning. So I sold that agency in the mid-2000s, but it was that knowledge base and interest in succession planning, transition planning, exit planning that contributed to where I am today. That's super interesting. And I definitely want to pretty quickly get to that, to what you're doing now. But how did you segue that? How did you go from, hey, have you thought about your succession plan to, hey, can we get you some leads? Like, how did that that go down? Well, the, the connection was on the lead generation. Financial advisors have this strong desire to be in front of business owners on a favorable basis. What was on the mind of most business owners, we felt, was exit planning, succession planning. I mean, it's just all owners... You think about it, whether from the outset or along the journey. So that proved to be a really strong concept to build around. What brought me to where I am today, after I engineered my exit strategy in the mid-2000s, I was away from the industry for a few years, but I would meet owners, agency owners. I couldn't help myself. I'd say to them, Dan, what's your exit strategy? And that's what they wanted to talk about. So I started 2009 Consulting for agency owners, primarily around exit planning, succession planning. Initially, if we had a client that had to sell to an outsider or a third party, I would refer that opportunity to other M&A advisors. And the natural progression for my group was, in addition to providing exit planning consultation, to also offer M&A advisory services to help agency owners both buy and sell companies. Did you go through that process yourself? Did that help inspire that? I did. I did. I ended up actually selling to partners. I founded the firm and my own exit plan worked out to be an internal transaction. Yeah. And, and without going into you know too much details on that, what do you wish you, you knew then that you know now? At the time, and it's going to sound like the segue or cliche into what we're going to be discussing, I did not really plan in advance. I mean, I was so busy just trying to grow, so focused on the top line. In hindsight, if I had been more focused on building value in the company, centered around profit margins, putting a staff in place so it wasn't as dependent on me, I mean, I was fortunate and thankful I could have an exit plan, but it wasn't a great celebration because our margins were just fair and we were carrying debt. So, I mean, I just got to a point where I wanted a transition. We had a lot of employees. But our value was not measured by the number of employees we had. It's easy to look back now. 
Yeah. And that's always hard <laughs> looking to look back on those things in my experience. So with that, you know, kind of getting to what you're doing now, how are you helping these agencies solve from a position of strength? Like what's, what's your usual starting point when you, you get somebody in the door, they're like, Hey, I want to sell. I'm open to selling. How do you get started with people? We have opportunities to develop relationships with owners who are at different stages. Some have a company, it's they're profitable, their value, they've made the determination that they want to sell. And then we're trying to present our MA advisory services and hopefully we can show expertise and, and help them. Another percentage of our clients, and this is probably a higher percentage, they're not quite ready or they're exploring their options whether that's a year out or three years out. And we try to present there are strategies, tactics that you could do today or over the next couple of years that truly can position you to monetize your firm, hopefully on your terms for higher dollars. Happy to share with you and your listeners what some of those strategies might be, some of the areas to really focus in on that all things being equal, buyers may pay a higher multiple or higher percentage if your company's in shape. Right. That makes sense. I want to drill down to those sorts of scenarios, uh, which I know you talk a lot about. One thing I'm curious about is, is you talk a lot about the unrealistic expectations that agency owners have. Would you mind talking a bit about that? What are, what are some of the most common unrealistic expectations that are out there? As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. Unrealistic expectations certainly around their valuation. And many times we'll meet owners and they'll they would they heard or they read or they Googled. I can command a multiple of 10x, 8x. And they're usually referring to a multiple of EBITDA. EBITDA, your listeners who are owners all know, that's typically a measure of cash flow, freed up pre-tax cash flow after fair market salaries to the owners. So people say, I'm going to get 8x, 10x. I heard my friend, my buddy got that. Well, what they don't know or haven't heard, it's one, you don't know the terms of those transactions, how much cash was actually paid at closing, which is guaranteed. What are the strings attached to earnouts? Many of your listeners own service firms as opposed to technology companies. Multiples for professional services, marketing services agencies are different than technology. So a lot of times there's just unrealistic expectations on the multiples that they can command. I reference the terms, typically negotiating there's more energy into the terms of a transaction than just the multiple or the target selling price. So it's unrealistic expectations. Also, people don't appreciate 
the work and the process that it takes to sell a company. It's an experience. That makes sense. With that in mind, to go down into those different scenarios, how are you typically recommending these agencies structure these deals in different situations? So structuring deals, I'm certainly a love to share what we're seeing in terms of typical deal structures. Dan, we're also getting out what can agency owners do or prepare for to be able to command the higher multiple and more favorable terms. Where would you want me to start? Yeah. On second thought, let's start there. <laughs> Look, business owners know this. You've all heard it through business books, you know, trying to start with the end in mind. But truly for your listeners, envision they're at a table, conference table or Zoom meetings, and hopefully they have multiple prospective buyers who are courting them. And there's going to be common questions that come up. They're either asked or buyers are going to be thinking it. If it was you, Dan, if you were selling your company, why do you want to sell? How involved do you plan to be with the acquiring company? What's special about your company that I could not so easily build or acquire elsewhere. And then you get into a lot of factors around dependency. If you are the seller, how dependent is your company on you? The more dependent, the more risk, because what if you get your check at closing and you're not as involved? How strong is your senior management team? And what type of incentives do you have in place to hopefully motivate key team members to want to stay with the acquiring company? Growth opportunities, which is really a, a big one, because if somebody's going to pay an owner 6x, 7x of their earnings, they're buying companies typically with after-tax dollars. So in order to make a good return on their investment, they either need growth and or synergistic savings and or synergistic strategic opportunities to cross-sell. Because if you're presenting a company and you've been growing for 7% per year, and that's the forecast moving forward, you're not going to be able to command top dollars because the buyer won't be able to recoup their investment within a reasonable period of time. So it's around growth and confidence that the business will sustain. And then another key part to it is vision, to be able to really tell your story with passion and what could your company do with the right acquirer or with the resources of the right backer. So those are all steps that could take to then leading up to the question you posed, structure. If you're strong in those areas, the key variables around most deals are, it's usually a multiple of, of EBITDA. I mentioned cash at closing. If there's going to be an earnout period, meaning there's some benchmarks or strings that are attached, you want to make sure they're favorable if you're the seller. If there's going to be an earnout, most sellers want the benchmark to be top line revenue because they're concerned they won't control the expense side during an earnout period. Where buyers love to track EBITDA because that helps assure to safeguard their investment. So a lot of negotiations around this structure in earnout. The, the other part that I'd really encourage your listeners become very educated, and this would be part of the MA advisory group, your balance sheet, working capital. Buyers are not going to want to assume your debt. That there's a lot that goes into negotiating working capital 
during a transaction. That's really great. I'm glad we started with the foundation instead of hop frogging to uh, to structuring deals. That's a good point. What I like about what you talked about is there's a number of different things, some of which are tangible. How much are we growing? How are people incentivized and that sort of thing? And then there's there's intangibles like are we special and do we have a strong enough vision? What are some of the things that people think are special that actually aren't in your experience? The strength of their client contract. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, we've got all these great clients. In the marketing services industry, even if you have a scope of work or an MSA, they all have out clauses, 90 days, 30 days. So the client mix is important. What's more important is to show not just the actual contract, but that year in and year out, you're the desired service outlet for those clients and you're getting repeat business. Culture is really important, but everybody will say we have a great culture and you know we have uh, flexible vacation days and so forth. I mean, that, those are necessities. Buyers will usually be able to pick up on the vibes and the energy level. So I'm not minimizing culture at all, but everyone will say we have a great culture. We service clients well. Servicing clients, those are givens. I go back to what's really special. What's your unique value proposition? To hammer on the cultural element a little bit, how has your job changed in the context of everyone going remote? You know, if you have somebody that wants to acquire an agency and everyone's distributed, it's hard for them to walk through the door and just kind of get the vibe of the place. How has that been going for you? It's still relatively new. I mean, we're encouraged because transactions have been getting done over the past six to eight months, even through the pandemic. Some of our engagements, the buyers never met in person with the sellers. In the old days, you know, you'd have to go and have the bourbon lunches and talk and meet and dinners. But people are just used to now the way we're we're all operating. What is interesting about with MA, there's such a need to recruit talent now. And that's really helping the sellers because if you have good qualified capable people buyers may pay a premium because they need that talent not just your revenue and your client base regardless of where your employees are located so it, it, it is helping to swing it to more of a seller's market because of the need and the demand for quality employees that makes a lot of sense one thing that i really liked from your talk was the idea of before going into this process, you should have a good plan B because it's going to help you stay emotionally grounded. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit and just kind of like examples of of good plan Bs you've seen. I love that question coming back to me. Right before this call, I was on with a client. We were talking about that very point that he wants to sell, but he doesn't have to. The reason why he doesn't have to, it's he's making good money. His leadership team they're handling much of the heavy lifting. So in his situation, he's only going to sell if his instincts tell him and the economics are right because he's making money. Other examples of plan Bs, fallbacks, if somebody's going to enter the sales M&A process would be you can fall back and hopefully balance lifestyle with work. Another plan B might be to look into the economics pros and cons of forming an ESOP. We did one of those recently for a client. It's an employee stock ownership plan. It's a financing mechanism many times to help the owner be able to monetize 
but also over time, move ownership to a trust where the employees can participate when they retire. Another would be to, depending upon the size of the company, is a management buyout plan. Because if you look at what are the potential exit pathways for marketing services firms, it's either going to be a strategic buyer or a financial buyer. If they're large enough, maybe a private equity group. You could look to structure a management buyout plan with key employees if there's enough cash flow and ESOP might fit. But truly assessing those different exit pathways, and there's more, will help that owner approach the selling process from a position of strength because they won't have to sign a purchase agreement that might not feel right or be right for them. They know they have a good, quote, plan B. Right. I think that sounds really important. Kind of back to this idea of selling from a position of strength. Are there certain archetypes that you're seeing in terms of like who's getting the best outcomes based on when they're building these relationships with the potential buyer? Are, are your clients, your better clients typically already having somebody in mind? Maybe they already know them or are they going in cold each time? Like, how is that playing out? There's two sides to it. Most M&A advisors, and by the way, you had a great podcast on it, another M&A advisor talking about also selling. She made a good point where she was talking about the value of an auction process, bringing multiple buyers to the table. We all know the laws of economics, supply and demand. If you have multiple suitors, only good can typically come of that. You have to realize, though, to bring multiple offers to the table is a process. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. But many M&A advisors will say, let's do not a full-blown hundred, you know, but a controlled auction process. On the other end of that spectrum is just a negotiated sale to one or two select buyers. And a lot of times owners, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, we're already negotiating with so-and-so and we would try to help them. But what's key, Dan, we have found that if you have time and you envision somebody wants to sell in a few years, don't be the shoemaker with their children running around with, with sandals. Think about a strategic communications plan for your own firm to put your name in front of potential buyers now. Not that you're thinking about selling, but they should know about you. Who are the bigger players in the industry who might want to buy them? So that when the time is right, whether you approach the process on a very controlled basis or it's more of an auction, there's some name recognition for your company. So it really is about a strategic communications plan to position yourselves with likely buyers in the future. Now, not everyone has the time and luxury to do that because some owners are at the point they want to sell. But that's a long-range strategy that can only help. Other great stuff can come out of that. Even if that acquisition never happens, you could have strategic partnerships. There's all sorts of things that can go from collaborating with, with a bigger potential acquirer. One thing that you said in your talk, which kind of uh, surprised me and threw me off a little bit in, in a good way, because it's making me think a little bit differently. You were sort of against the idea of the lifestyle business, like an owner kind of like stair-stepping out of the business and getting other people to take care of everything while they hang out and collect. Why doesn't that work? Because I think a lot of people are thinking about that, planning for it, et cetera. Like, how have you seen that fail? One, it's much harder than it, than it sounds because... Typically, 
the driver, if it's the founder or the, the key player, when they step back, I know it sounds on paper, you know, we've got our management team, leadership team, the dynamics change. And if they truly step back, unless they're sharing pretty good percentage of the profits, there's going to be resentment. Why am I working so hard? Because it's a service firm. People start, they'll think, can we just go out and do this on our, on our own? It's different than if it was a manufacturing firm or something that wasn't so heavily dependent on talent. And then you also have the risk. I've seen this swing too many times where agencies, whether they're traditional or digital, they're running strong. Everything's really falling into place. And then a year later, they may have lost a major account, some of the energy's out, and it's a swing. And that difference of a profit margin, maybe a firm that's been running at a 15 to 20% profit margin, if you have a swing and now they're struggling to make 10%, the value is completely different. We've tried to structure that with a number of clients and you get a few years out of it, but at some point it's like either sell to the employees or build in a phantom stock plan for them and sell to a third party. That's interesting. And that's good food for thought, I think, for lots of aspiring Tim Ferriss style lifestyle business owners. So something to think about. With that, one trend that we've been picking up on a lot, and especially came up at the summit we both attended, the idea of these worlds kind of colliding, you know, and agencies building software products or becoming publishers, publishers becoming agencies. How, if at all, is that playing out in your world? Are you seeing bigger multiples for the agencies that have built a platform or a tech product or something like that? My sample's small, so I'm only going to comment on a couple recent experiences. So we have a client that most of their revenue is driven from marketing services, time, talent, the traditional agency model. But they do have a SaaS product, and it's starting to get some traction, but it only represents 5 to 8% of their income. And the client really believes, though, that they should be positioned more as a, as a technology company commanding the kind of multiples of SaaS. Well, it's unproven, their technology SaaS arm yet. Will they be able to complement each other? Maybe, but there still is a wall that divides. I mean, are you a services firm or a technology SaaS company? So my sample is not large enough to really be able to comment, will those collide? But I think they're two very different business models. And what I wonder about is, is the service business a better launch pad for a different type of business like that? Or are these just different things? Well, so many owners would love that. You know, the multiples could be two to three times higher. And the thought of, let me build something and there will just be ongoing subscriptions. I mean, those sound wonderful. But, you know, what percentage are, are, are successful? It's a definitely a different animal. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. So David, kind of getting towards the end of our time, how can people follow what you're up to, get in touch, get resources, et cetera? Tobin Leff is my group, T-O-B-I-N-L-E-F-F. Our website, we try to put up hopefully content that would be helpful. We have our own podcasts around M&A and building value. And I mean, certainly if somebody would want to speak with me, I've got four partners as well. Four of the five partners have all owned marketing or digital agencies. You know, we'd love to speak with owners who are just thinking about selling or building value or 
yeah, and definitely recommend if you're, you know, even if it's far off on the horizon, having that conversation and looking up what Tobin Leff is doing. In my experience, you can't get enough perspectives on selling your, your agency or your business because even if it's so far off, it's just a really great goal and a great way to build a healthy business anyway. We can't get enough of these sorts of conversations. So David, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan. Best wishes. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.